0: Father, we pray that you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see, revelation of you, and allow it to make a difference in our life. Allow it to make us more aware of your love for us. Allow it to conform us to the image of your Son. Allow it to empower us to make choices against addiction. And fear and anxiety. Thank you for the presence of your spirit. You keep your promises, and we thank you for that. Thank you, Father. Go ahead and turn to Galatians. I want you to imagine with me this morning that you have given your entire life from the time you were born, you have given your entire life to a particular perspective. And that perspective consists of a lot of things, but two of the things that it consists of is number one, You're the only ones God's ever chosen. That perspective says you are it. You are God's special. God has picked you. And if anybody else wants to be picked by God, they have to become like you. That's been ingrained in your heart that you are the elite. And the second part of that perspective is that if you want to live right with God, it's important that you keep all the rules, all the commandments, and all the laws. I realize it's really impossible, an impossibility to do that, so you make adjustments to them. And you even add some to them. And that stirs up something in your heart that you're willing to die for you're willing to defend, you're willing to protect, you're willing to do whatever it takes to preserve your perspective of life, because who wouldn't? I mean, if if you're the only ones that God's ever chosen, why wouldn't you want to defend that? If you were taught from the very beginning that in order to be right with God, you have to keep all the rules and keep all the laws, and, and there's a sense of pride in your heart that you've done that. Man, I, I, have, I have exceeded what my peers were able to do. I've become more righteous. I've become more holy. I've advanced in the hierarchy that exists in that mindset. And then all of a sudden, as you're rocking along in your world, this other perspective is interjected. This man comes along and and he teaches some things and shares some things and does some things and some of the very people that you taught now are following him. And it just boils inside of you, the anger and the resentment, how dare This guy come along and challenge the things that I've given my life for. And you deem it to be so dangerous that you're willing to hunt down those who buy into that perspective. You've got the religious system on your side and you get papers from them and you go from town to town and you round them up and you bring them back to put them in jail. Somebody needs to take charge. Somebody needs to administer judgment to these people that have that have cheapened what I have believed in all of my life. And so I'm on my way to fulfill that commission. And all of a sudden, this one that died and supposed to have risen from the grave appears to me and knocks me to the ground. Something happens inside of me that I never dreamed possible. A radical change take place because this one that I had such vehemence for, this one that I had such hatred and anger for, now becomes the love of my life. And everything that I've been taught now is brought into question. He must have known this was going to be a real challenge, so he sends me to the desert for what ends up to be about 17 years. In that time in the desert, he just reveals himself more and more and more. And in these revelations, I come to find out everything that I believed was out of order because now I found out that all of that, Was for the purpose of bringing righteousness to the world. Not only was I chosen, but everyone was chosen. And not only was it not by works, but it was by faith and by grace. And I just can't, I can't get enough of that revelation. I just want more of Jesus. I want more of this revelation. I want more of this understanding. And I can't tell enough people about it. So I go into cities and I declare to them, listen, it's Jesus. He is alive. And all that stuff that I told you, forget about it. I was wrong. It really is Jesus. And it's not how well you perform, but it's faith. Now, if you can imagine that some of your cohorts wouldn't be too happy about that. They haven't had this revelation. They're still over here adhering to what you've been given to all of these years. And now you come along and you challenge everything. And see, there's something about us wanting to be right. And they still want to be right. And if you're right, then they're wrong. So you can't be right because I'm right. Therefore, you must be wrong. that sound familiar? Sounds like us, doesn't it? We want to be right. Now I can't be right and you can't be right too. So you got to be wrong because I want to be right. And so they follow him everywhere he goes and challenges everything he teaches. And and I'm reminded, and I I can't remember the character. I think it was John Wesley's wife. And he used to go from town to town itinerant, and she wasn't a believer. And he would go from town to town, and he would preach, and he would be up there preaching, and his wife would be in the back yelling, don't believe him. He's a liar. He's not telling you the truth. And I picture that image with with these guys that were challenging Paul. Don't believe him. He's lying to you. He's desecrating the law. He's discounting the law. And everywhere he went, even up until the time that he was in captivity in Rome, were they challenging everything that he said? That's the book of Galatians. He writes the book of Galatians to the churches of Galatia, and he says, I taught you about grace. I taught you that it's by faith. And these guys have come along, and they're saying, no, you have to keep the law, and you have to be circumcised. And I'm telling you, what they're saying is not true. It is Christ and Christ alone. And that's what the book of Galatians is about. And he gives at least eight, we've covered some of them, eight pictures or eight expressions or eight examples of why it's Christ and not works. And so I want you to, we're going to review those just for a second, but here's your two questions for today, all right? First one, what did you hear? What phrase or word did you hear that stood out to you as we share this morning? And here's the second one. What difference has it made in your life since we've been in the book of Galatians? What difference has it made in your life since we've been in the book of Galatians? So Paul writes these things, and there are at least eight things. One, he says, first of all, he just simply declares it. He just straight up says I mean, he doesn't pull any punches about it. He knows it's going to just challenge everything that he's ever believed. But he says, there is no righteousness by keeping the law. It is faith in Christ Jesus. He just simply says it. Second of all, he talks about how that the death in Christ fulfilled the law. Christ didn't come to annul the law. Christ came to fill the law. That means to satisfy the law in all of its points. And he says, the death of Christ fulfilled the law. And because God identified me as dying with Christ, I fulfill the law. Remember, there are two ways to keep the law. There are two ways to live up to the law. One is to keep everything in it. Never break it. Keep every commandment. If you can keep every commandment, you can be honestly say, I have fulfilled the law. Problem is, James says, if you offend in one point, you're guilty of the whole thing. Jesus comes along and said, if you look upon a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. He says, if you're angry with a man, you've committed murder. So that's an impossibility. None of us can keep the law. So we have to rule out that that option. But the second option is this. First one is to keep the law. The second one is to die. When you die, you're no longer obligated to keep the law. God said, you died with Christ. You and I, who we were, died with Christ. That freed us from the obligation of the law. We are no longer obligated to keep the law because we are dead men walking. We have died to the law and we have risen in God in Christ to walk with that. The third one is he's asked the question, did you receive the spirit by works or did you receive the spirit by faith? Did you get all the dot, all the I's and cross all the T's to the point that God said, wow, you're doing so great. Here's the Holy Spirit. Well, listen, if you're doing that great, you don't need the Holy Spirit. And second of all, you ain't doing that great. So you need the Holy Spirit. And he says, you didn't receive the Holy Spirit by works. You received the Holy Spirit by believing God. Fourth of all, he says, Abraham was faith before there was law. Says Abraham believed God and it was counted righteousness. And that was years before there ever was the law. He said, that's what God's been God's heart all along. So now we're on the fifth one. And the fifth one is in Galatians 3, chapter 10 through 14. Here's what he says, and then we're going to look at it. He says this, trying to keep the law keeps you under a curse. Okay? Trying to keep the law keeps you under a curse. Look what he said in verse 10. For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written... Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Deuteronomy 27, 26. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident for the righteous man shall live by faith. Habakkuk 2, 4. See him pulling Old Testament verses. He's saying this the Old Testament that you're saying you have to keep spoke of the New Testament and the one that would come and redeem us, and that was Christ. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, you who practices them shall live by them. Verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Leviticus eighteen five, Having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Deuteronomy twenty-one, twenty-three. In order that in Christ the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we will receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Trying to keep the law keeps us under the curse. All right? Continuous law, continuous curse. Keep keeping the law, keep receiving a curse. It is an axiom. It goes, one goes with the other. If you want to keep trying to keep the law, just count on there being a curse accompanying it. All those rules, all those commandments, all those guidelines, all of those principles that we carry around with us in order to live up to some standard All of them carry a curse with them. There's continuous judgment for failing to live up to the requirements of the law. It's the nature of the law. Remember we talked about if the law doesn't have a judgment, it isn't a law. If the law doesn't have a consequence, it isn't a law. If you pass a law and there's no, if you break the law, this happens, it's not the law. It's just a suggestion. But with law, with those rules, with those commandments, with those principles, with those guidelines that we carry around, that we live by, that we think we have to keep these in order to be right with God, all of those carry a judgment, a curse with them. It is continuous judgment for failing to live up to their requirements. There's condemnation. Oh, I failed. You're not good enough. You're a failure. You're worthless. You're not spiritual enough. You're not thin enough. You're not smart enough. You're not healthy enough. You're not popular enough. All of those things that we carry with us, that we think we have to hold on to these in order to be this good Christian, or this spiritual person or this person that's right with god every one of those carries that curse the echo of inadequacy i'm inadequate i can't measure up that sense of curse can result in all kinds of harmful behavior and all kinds of activity trying to get release from that curse I embrace these rules, I embrace these principles, and inevitably, I don't live up to them. And when I don't, the curse of you are inadequate falls on me, and it's spelled out in a lot of different ways. And the pain of that, the grief of that, the shame of that, the condemnation of that results in all kinds of Behavior, harmful behavior, whether it's drugs, sex, money, eating disorder, religion, alcohol, education, possessions, exercise, power, acceptance. There's all and there's more trying to satisfy this curse of inadequacy. You're not enough. And yet we bring that on ourselves. We bring that on ourselves by living, trying to live by the law, trying to live by the rules, trying to live by the principles, and inevitably we fail, and when we fail, here comes the curse. And because the curse is so ingrained in my heart, I've got to do something to deaden the pain, and I give myself to all of these activities that are ultimately harmful to my life, trying to satisfy the curse that's been brought on in my life. And we buy the lie that the answer is trying harder. You just haven't tried hard enough. You just haven't done enough. You just haven't prayed enough. You just haven't read enough. You just haven't studied enough. Not understanding that all of that activity adds to the law that I put myself under, and that in itself will result in the expression of a curse in my life, of I am inadequate. I just can't live up to it. But he tells us here, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Not just the law, but the curse of the law that sense of inadequacy that sense of shame that sense of condemnation that sense of inferiority christ redeemed us from all of that not because he had sin and died on the cross but just the opposite but because he had no sin and fulfilled the law thereby satisfying The curse. He not only fulfilled the law, he satisfied the curse. Not only in his life, but in the very way that he died. What are the odds of realizing the fulfillment of that? Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. He had to be crucified. He had to fulfill that expression of the curse. And he did it at every point. In doing so, he satisfies that curse, that sense of inadequacy, that making us adequate. I want you to look within, in Second Corinthians. You know, we, we've got the luxury. Galatians was the first book that, that Paul wrote. And we have the luxury of having these other letters that he wrote to kind of help explain some things in Galatians and in other books, so he begins in Second Corinthians chapter three, verse one. He says, "Well, let me go back. Let's look in verse fourteen, chapter two. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ." Is that true? No, 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 no. Not true because it's written. True because it's lived in us that always true? Does he always lead us in triumph? Yes, because when we don't live in triumph, we're living in something else. But when we're living in Christ, we live in triumph. We live in triumph over the sense of inadequacy. We live in triumph over the sense of shame. We live in triumph over the fear, triumph over the condemnation, but it all comes in him. Thanks be to God. Who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Him in every place. What do you smell like? When you leave a place, is everybody going, what is that? What do you smell like? When you leave, do they say, oh, that smelled like Jesus? Or do they leave thinking, well, oh, that smelled like criticism? Uh, that smelled like anger. That smelled like bitterness. But that smelled like Jesus. When I find my all in him, the curse is broken, and Christ emanates through me in my life and in my circumstance. Thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. For we are a a fragrance of Christ to God. Isn't that awesome? We smell like Jesus to God. Mothers know what their babies smell like. Even when the diaper's dirty. They know. That's my baby. They just know. The father says, you smell like Jesus. Man, that's great. That's good stuff. We are fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one an aroma from death to death, to the other an aroma from life to life. And who is, there's that word, adequate. Who is adequate to smell like Christ for these things? For we are not like many peddling the word of God, but as from some sincerity, but is from God, we speak in Christ in the sight of God. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need some letters of commendation to you or from you? You are our letter written in our hearts, known and read by all men, being manifested that you are a letter of Christ cared for by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence we have through Christ toward God. Watch here. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves. If I was adequate in myself, Christ wouldn't need to die. If I was adequate in myself, God wouldn't need to send the Holy Spirit. I am not adequate in myself to keep the law. I am not adequate in myself to keep all the commandments, to keep all of the principles. I am not adequate to do that. But our adequacy is from God, who also made us adequate as servant of a new covenant, not of a letter, but of the spirit for the letter kills the letter being the law, being the mosaic law, being the law I put on my own life, being the rules I live by, being the principles I live by, being the moral code that I live by. All of those things carry with them a curse and it kills. But he says, but the spirit gives life. Have you ever said this about yourself? I am adequate. Probably not. And I can tell you why. Because you looked at how well you kept your rules. You look at how well you kept your law. You look at how well you keep your commandments. You look at how well you live up to your moral code. And you say, I am not adequate. But when I look at what God has done, and I look at Christ has made me adequate. I am adequate to do anything and everything God wants me to do. The key is not putting a bunch of stuff on myself that doesn't originate with God. Puts on, I put it on there with me, stuff that I put on myself. Well, I, you know, I, I really do. I mean, I, I, I've got to, I, I, I you know, I've got to lose some weight. You know, I've got to, I've got to get in better shape. You know, I've got to, you know, I've just got to, I've got to read the Bible more. And we put all this stuff on us knowing we're going to blow it. And when we blow it, that sense of inadequacy hammers our heart. See, you're not adequate. But here's what he's saying. Everything God leads me to do, I am adequate to do it. Everything that the Spirit quickens me to do, I am adequate to do. I am adequate because of Christ. Freedom, contentment, satisfaction, peace, will only come in finding my adequacy in Christ. Look what he said in verse, back in Galatians chapter 14. In order that the blessing, in order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. What was the blessing of Abraham? The blessing of Abraham was being delivered from inadequacy to do what God wanted him to do. How did that deliverance take place? He believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And whenever he was declared righteous, he said, you are adequate to be right with me, not because of what you've done, not because of how well you've performed, but because you believed me. In order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Because of Jesus, I am adequate to do anything and everything that God wants me to do. And Paul says, that didn't come by keeping the law and being circumcised. That didn't come by keeping the rules. That didn't come by living up to your moral code or living by principles. It came by trusting that what Christ did was sufficient to make you adequate. Do you carry with you a sense of adequacy in Christ? Or do you wake up in the morning and say, I ain't got enough to do it? By the way, that's step one. Waking up in the morning saying, I ain't got it to do it. Step two is Christ has made me adequate to do everything he wants me to do. Step two is not I'm going to start over. How many times have we started over? Like starting over is going to make it better. Here's what I discovered. Getting counsel from the same person that resulted in harmful behavior is only going to result in harmful behavior when you keep getting counsel from that person. And I usually get counsel from myself. I'm going to try harder. I'm going to do it better. I'm going to do it again. I, this time, this time, I'm going to do it better. Come, Instead of coming to the Father and saying, I do not have what it takes. What do you want me to do and when he tells me he empowers me to do that the curse is broken i am adequate to be right before god everything that is lacking is made up in christ i can stand with him and this is the i've used this before this is the best definition of righteousness i have ever heard and it says the ability to stand in the presence of God, man, any demon, without a sense of fear, guilt, shame, condemnation, or inferiority or inadequacy. Think about that. That, that describes me. I live with those things fear. Guilt, shame, condemnation, inferiority, inadequacy. But a sense of righteousness, the sense of what God has done in Christ makes me sufficient to stand in his presence and in the presence of any man. Are there still those people in your life that when you get around them or you or you just don't get around them because you feel so inadequate? You know? And, and, and hearing... Well, they put their pants on one leg at a time like you. just really doesn't help because it plants an image in my mind all day of them putting their pants on one day at a time. What, what good does that do? It's not a comparison. Compared to you, I'm this. It's not a comparison. Paul, Paul says in Corinthians, we're foolish when we compare ourselves with ourselves. But it's coming in the awareness of what God has done in me of what God did in Christ. And if I receive that, I walk without that sense of condemnation, without that sense of shame. And then I'm not constantly looking for behavior to dull the pain of the curse. I can walk in righteousness, walk in obedience to him. Okay, quickly, we're going to do one more. Here's the sixth one. The covenant of faith came before the covenant of law. Paul lists all these reasons why the law is not the answer. And he says, look, the covenant of faith came before the covenant of law. Look in verse 15. Brethren, I speak in terms of human relations, even though it is only a man's covenant, yeah, when it has been ratified, no one sets it aside or adds conditions to it. Here's the nature of a covenant. The closest thing we have to a covenant is a contract, all right? But it doesn't even compare. The contract doesn't even compare to what a covenant is. If Michael and I enter into a covenant, if we enter into a contract, and I don't like the way he's doing it, or I get changed my mind, I can go to an attorney, and I can find some loophole in that contract and get around it, and we don't have to worry about it. But if he and I enter into covenant, that's it. What we agree to in the covenant is bound forever until and only if both of us agree to change it or both of us agree to get rid of it. It can't be changed from the outside. It can't be replaced unless both of us agree with that. It can't be added to or taken from unless both of us agree. And that's a covenant between men, and that's what he's saying. I speak in terms of human relations, even though it's only a man's covenant. Yet when it has been ratified, no one sets it aside or adds condition to it. That's the picture of a covenant in the natural between two men. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Who was it spoken to? Spoken to Abraham. Who was it spoken by? It was spoken by God. So now here's a covenant between God and Abraham. You think that covenant can be annulled? I don't think so. Not unless both of them agree to it. And God ain't buying it. He's not agreeing to it. What it, does it? Can it be substituted or add to it? No, because it takes both of them. Now, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed, singular. He does not say, and to seeds, as referring to many, but rather to one, and to your seed, that is Christ. That seed is not Muhammad. It is not Buddha. It is not anybody else. It is Christ and Christ alone. Remember what he said. There was You'll be a blessing to many nations. How's that going to happen? Through one seed being Christ. There were many nations blessed, but it was only blessed through Christ. There's not nations blessed in the law. We've got that really fouled up. We think if a nation embraces the law, we think, we think America is a Christian nation because it embraced the law. Listen, until it embraces Christ, it is not under God's favor. We're going to have a better existence, no question about it. But it's in Christ that the blessing comes. It's in Christ that the reality of it comes. What am I saying? What I'm saying is this. The law, which came 430 years later, does not invalidate a covenant previously ratified by God so as to nullify the promise. So here's God Here's Abraham, they entered into a covenant. That covenant took place 430 years before the law ever came on the scene. So because Abraham trusted God, he was counted righteous. You can't do away with that. You can't annul that because the law has come along. The law came along later for a completely different purpose. And, and, and Paul is saying to them, there was a first covenant. The second does not replace it. The second was created for a completely different reason. The law was not created to make man righteous. All of our efforts is not going to make us right with God. The only thing that makes us right with God is faith, belief in what Jesus did and accepting what he did. What I'm saying is this, the law which came 430 years later does not invalidate a covenant previous ratified by God so as to nullify the promise. For if inheritance is based on law, it is no longer based on a promise. But God has granted it to Abraham by means of a promise. That's good news. That's a good word, man. That covenant that God made with Abraham still stands. It's still by faith. It's still believing what God has said. Okay? So those are that's uh, six of the things that Paul referred to when he's trying to communicate to the people in Galatia. This idea of keeping the law and being circumcised <clears throat> is irrelevant. What's relevant is Christ and trust in him. That's relevant to us because we set up so many laws in our own life. We set up so many rules, so many uh, principles, so many guidelines that we come up with on our own instead of receiving what God has already done. All right, here's the questions. What word or phrase stood out today? And here's the second one. Since we've started Galatians, what's been different in your life? What change has it made in your life? All right, Anybody?
1: I got to be the first because to my uh, hey praise God anyway uh, from last week when I was mumbling and stumbling and everything up there trying to share your last statement I'll go ahead on and say it I was so bold to say that America is a Christian nation but from your definition just now a Christian is one who embraces Christ and the righteousness of God by faith and not works. Absolutely. The same with the nation. Absolutely. To my shame. Absolutely. Who would be laughing at me anyway? <laughs> that's good, Chuck. Okay. That's
0: good you saw that. Anyone else, Burnell? Randy, get over here. Okay. <laughs> He'll make his old man walk. him. Yeah,
2: that's loud. Micah, you put the cookies on the lower shelf today. The curse of the law is inadequacy. That's right. I've not, <clears throat> not had it presented that way before, but that, that is a curse. That is and a curse. And you're born under that, the sense of inadequacy. And boy, that's, that stood out to me today. That's right. So,
0: now, see, there, there's teachings that have taken this, and they've taken it in an area, and they're saying if you if that if you if you are living in adequate adic- if you have inadequate money, you're under the curse. Listen, Christ did not die so everyone to be millionaires. Sorry, that's an American philosophy. It won't preach in Africa. It won't preach in China. It won't preach in the rest of the world. It is Americanized interpretation. But he did die to make me adequate to do anything that God called me to do or asked me to do and wants me to do. All right, anyone else?
3: There were two words that stood out to me this morning. The first one was curse. And it realizing that curse can be something as simple as feelings of inadequacy. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the other one was covenant when you explained that a covenant can only be broken when all parties that are a part of it agree to that. So I can't break my covenant no. with God.
0: No. And that's because of his faithfulness, not yours. It's true of all of us. Let every man be a liar, God is faithful.
2: Um, yeah, just that uh, I've been set free from a curse and I've been set free from this crazy cycle of death that I just keep you know keeping my eyes on my behavior and trying harder and harder and it ha- it doesn't work. Oh. I have to take my eyes off my behavior and put them on him and just enjoy him. so this has been huge for me. Good. I just feel like I've answered the two questions you had. <laughs> That's
0: good. Remember, remember that? That's good. What, what constrains us? Constrained means keep me from doing stupid things, okay? Keep me from sinning. What constrains me? The love of Christ. Not my love for him. The awareness of his love for me constrains me from wanting to do anything that would grieve him or quench him. That's the constraint. It's not how well we do in keeping the rules and making more rules and then dedicating to do better at our rules. It's becoming aware of his love for me and what he's done. Boy, that constrains me. I don't want to do anything to grieve him.
2: All right. This is the big, I guess, uh, revelation that the Lord gave me um, through Galatians. Um, and I guess a little backstory I hate reading the Bible. <laughs> Uh, I think the reason why I hated reading the Bible is because it's been used as a weapon to me. That's right. Um, so I remember the first time you gave it to us, you were just like, read Galatians. And I was like, I guess let me give it a shot. But you said, find Jesus in it. And as soon as I applied that, Oh my God, did it just like all this stuff just start coming at me. I'm weeping. And I'm like in my office, like what is happening? I've never, never experienced that. Um, and so, like, I guess this is part of my revelation, I guess. It's my translation of Galatians 3. Um, o foolish Christians, who has cast an evil spell on you? For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the Bible? Of course not. You received the Holy Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be? After starting your new lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Have you experienced so much for nothing? Surely it was not in vain, was it? I ask you again, does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the Bible? Of course not. It is because you believe the message you heard about Christ. In the same way Abraham believed God and God counted to him, as a righteous man because of his faith the real chi- the real children of Abraham then are those who put their faith in God um i can celebrate that that's good you that's know good. um i'm just tired of of people just being like it's the word of God it's the word of God i'm like the word of God is still alive and still speaks it's not just in this book um mm. just as much like I, I just as much as he can use a donkey why can't he use this book? Of course he can. But at the same time, this book or that donkey isn't God. That's it's right. so much bigger than that. That's right. Um, and I remember before, see if I can find it in Revelations. It was a cool moment because I think uh, it was at home group. And uh, I think Tanya was kind of just like lamenting in a way. And, uh, and I've heard this saying before. She was saying that she didn't, she didn't want to be lukewarm, you know, and, uh, I've heard that, that saying to me. Hey, don't be lukewarm. You're going to go to hell if you, if you're not fully devoted. You know, that whole saying. So I looked up Revelation, uh, four, where it's at. Um, know, let me see if I can find it. 15 it says, I know all the things you do that you're neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other, but since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Um When I've been thrown that scripture or I read that, I'm just like, Lord, I can't find you in that because you've never you've Lord, you've never turned me away. You've never done that to me. Where where are you? Where, Jesus, where are you? And this is where I'm like, why don't they finish the scripture? Like, ah. It says, look, I stand at the door and knock, and you hear my voice and open the door. I will come in and share a meal with you together as friends. Those are victorious will sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what it is that he's saying to these churches. And that's what I have. That's good.
0: Yeah, he said something I want you to key off of. He said, You know, you have not, you and I have not heard all of the gospel. There's so much more. There's so much more. The gospel is as big as Jesus. And we don't know all of Jesus. So there's plenty more to be had and to be realized.
1: Um, similar, I guess, to Alex, like I just, I grew up thinking, well, just not having a great example of reading the scripture and, um, that being producing life. I would see people in my life, um, reading scripture and it would just be, it's just about the law. Like you have to do this every day, like go through the Bible, read the Bible in a year, like just different things. Um, And I never really saw fruit from it. So I was like, well, you know, how does that can't really be, I don't know. I just always struggled with it. But um, just recently through all of this study and another study that Jeremy and I are doing together, studying the gospels, what i've seen in my life and what i've recognized is that it's not works of the law but relationship how does relationship happen with christ it's by reading his word believing it and knowing it to be true and i just for the first time in a, like maybe forever i've really been able to see how god's word it can pierce how it can pierce hearts Mm -hmm. And how it can, how it really is such a big part of that. You know, my Mm -hmm. relationship with God, Scripture has a role in that. Mm -hmm. It really does. And it's not about the law and making sure that you do it every day and this many minutes a day and, you know, like prayer as well. But but that that is a tool that we can use to get close to the Lord. Mm -hmm. Scripture really is the sword. And it is piercing, and it really does pierce our hearts
3: mm-hmm. right. uh thanks be to God. She didn't name drop, but I was one of those uh one of those bad examples <laughs> <clears throat> so i'm just I'm just grateful that he he did he saved me from that from that perspective from that <clears throat> that law i po- imposed on myself um <sighs> so recently. We've had in the past couple of weeks we've had a few conversations with people with just really deep hurt um, from the church um, from from their perception of the church um, their experiences throughout their whole lives and it has just i mean in in those conversations there has been the freedom for us to just listen and share what God's done in our lives and we're praying that that has an impact. But when the conversation's over, we know that that hurt is still there, and that has not yet been resolved, and there's a lot um, of—that curse of the law is still on those individuals we've been talking with. So I leave those conversations excited about the Lord having used us, um, but still just kind of holding my hands up like, I I can't do this. I I don't even know how to speak into that kind of hurt. And so, man, what— Struck out to me today was in 2 Corinthians 3. <clears throat> Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. Mm-hmm. Th- those people that, that the Lord places in our lives to, to sometimes even just listen and share whatever it is he's put on our heart to share, he's made us sufficient. That's right. We are able to admit it, to minister that new covenant because of what He's done, and so it just kind of helps me take a breath and say, "Okay, what the Lord has led me to do in this conversation is is what is you know it's sufficient for you know, you know and and not that sufficiency doesn't come from me, and I don't even have to be the one necessarily to take the next step. Like the Lord is is calling those people, um, and so true. yeah, like that stood out to me. What what He has called me to do, He's given me that sufficiency through Christ. Yeah. When you think about
0: it, what is it that builds me up? When I receive something from the Lord, that builds me up. That encourages me. Well, what makes me think these people that are hurting just hearing my words are going to build them up? They need the same thing that I needed, revelation from the Lord. And so that way the weight is not on me to go and give them all the information that I know what my responsibility is to go and give them what God's saying to them in that situation to encourage them. And that's liberating because, you know, it's not up to us to have everything and have all the answers. All right. Next week we'll maybe go on. We'll see what happens.